So we're at the end of our series on Jacob because we're at the end of his life. And so um, next week we'll start our series on uh, John chapter 3. Uh, we, we're going to read about uh, some words uh, and blessings uh, that uh, Jacob gave to Joseph and his sons, and then uh, the last moments of his life. But before I read this, I want to pray. Uh, and um, typically what, uh, you know, we, I, I pray before the uh, sermon just for, you know, you, you to be paying attention, the Spirit to give you eyes and ears, and uh, give me words, um, that he would press that on us. I also want to pray this morning. I don't, I don't know if you follow the news very carefully, and I only you know do this pray about news items when they're per- particularly, well, something I think we should pray about. I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but there's a city in America today with 170,000 people in it, and there's no water. You know, Jackson, Mississippi, have you heard that? I used to live in Jackson. I lived there for four years, and uh, it's hot. It's always hot in Jackson, and uh, you know you can. There's all sorts of political and social commentary about why those folks are out of water. But there are a lot of poor people in Jackson, and uh, I think we should pray for them that God would give them water. We take water for granted. So an assignment for you this afternoon is when you open your um, designer water, or whatever whatever we call those things, or you get some Henrico County water, you should thank God that you have water to drink, and not, not take that for granted. Um, and just so you know, just to give you something else to worry about, did you know that in America, a water main breaks every two minutes? Yeah. So those of you on wells, good for you. Uh, you pray for the rest of us who are dependent on uh, municipal uh, or uh, uh, yeah, water work. So uh, in light of that, let me pray and then we'll read the text. Father, we thank you today that you're the giver of life. As we've already read this morning in the worship service, that you water the desert so that it would spring forth uh, in life. And uh, so we pray for uh, folks uh, in uh, Jackson today that uh, you would restore water to them, that you would protect life, uh, that you would be good uh, to those people and uh, care and provide for them. Lord, we thank you that uh, water is a gift. And uh, we thank you that we have it, uh, at least for now, in abundance here. And so... I pray that uh, you would make us grateful, make us mindful even of something as simple as water is a great gift from you. Pray that uh, uh, you would um, be gracious and quickly restore uh, the water to uh, those folks uh, living there in in, uh, Mississippi, that you would bless them and provide for them. And so now, Lord, as we look at your servant Jacob, we look at the closing days of his life, the blessing of his grandsons, I pray that you would help us. Uh, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Genesis 48, and then uh, we'll look over at Genesis 49, 28 through 33. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. 
So he took with him two son, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards, uh, took, took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, that displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your hand, right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God made you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And then 49, 28 and following all, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah, 
The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And then Jacob finished commanding his sons. He drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. We live in a culture that uh, values youth. You know, uh, I run into this all the time in my own family, you know, when one of the kids will say, uh, talk about uh, something that uh, everybody knows about except me. And they're like, well, I'm like, who is this person? What is this? And they, uh, because pop culture of the moment is the way you get credibility with people, right? And so uh, uh, we value what is new, what is young. Old is bad. Uh, and old people, um, well, they're not bad, but, you know, you, you put them over here and you don't pay them much mind, right? It would be great if, if, the, if it were true that every single human being, as they aged, got wiser. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I know a lot of really uh, wise younger people and a lot of really dumb older people, but in general... Uh, we have an opportunity as older people, as we grow older, to give gifts to our kids and our grandkids. And two of those gifts are uh, the gift of showing and demonstrating how to age in trust to, as Jacob says here, our shepherd. And the second gift that we can give, among many others, is the gift of showing and teaching our kids and our grandkids how to die faithfully. Now, it's, it's a funny thing to talk about that, and you may be thinking, oh, gee, this is such a dark thing to talk about on Labor Day weekend. I don't want to, you know, what are we talking about? But this, this story is actually full of light and full of life. Uh, and it's full of faith. And it's full of hope. And I think it's, it's good for us to, to, to take the time today to, to think a little bit about this and to unpack uh, uh, some of this as we, uh, as we engage with uh, uh, the text. Because one of the things that we've noted about Jacob across his life is for many parts of his life and many of the episodes that we've looked at, faith was not a big part of who he was. He was grasping after the promises of God in such a way that he lost his integrity and that his mother lost her integrity in the way in which they tricked uh, Isaac and stole from uh, Esau. And so as we think about this, what we see is at the end of his life, Jacob can look back across his life and look forward into the future. And in both of those paths, what he sees is, is the goodness and the faithfulness of God to give and to provide and to care for him. And so it's a, it's a great gift for us to, to, to look at this. So at the end of his life, Jacob is just full of faith. And even as he continues the trend here that you'll notice, he blesses uh, the younger, gives him a bigger blessing, and uh, has a bigger promise for his future than he does for the younger when Joseph uh, presents uh, his uh, sons to him. And so it is a, it's just a wonderful picture for us, right? I mean, one of the things that uh, is so precious to uh, any of us is if we live long enough, uh, we will uh, have the opportunity to be with folks when they pass. 
And it is a great thing for us when we have that opportunity to do a couple of things like what Jacob is doing here. And that is to, to, to see that we have a responsibility uh, to bless uh, the people uh, that we love. So it's important for us today, it's important for me to just tell you, you know, if you have, if you have things you need to say to people, if, if you have words you need to pass on to folks, uh, don't, don't wait. Don't wait. Tell them. Speak to them. You know, it is. Uh, and, and bear witness to them and to the people that, uh, uh, that, that know you and that, that you love about the goodness and the faithfulness of God to you over the course of your life. That is a tremendous gift and, and one that I'm certain that God will use in, uh, uh, in your life and in the lives of the people you love uh, uh, to, bear, uh, uh, to bear fruit. Because what we see Jacob doing here is he looks back and he recounts all these things that God has done in his life. And he speaks of, of, of just the great way that God provided for him and protected him and, and, and took care of him. And even though now he knows he's going to die, and here he is dying in a foreign country, dying far, far away uh, from the place uh, of, of promise, he has faith and confidence that God will be with his uh, kids, will be with his, uh, uh, his, his offspring, and will continue to be faithful and will keep his promised word to them. Because Jacob has a record of God's faithfulness to him in his life, he rests in the fact as he goes to his death knowing that though there's a lot of unfinished business, tons of unfinished business in, in, the, in, the, in, in the working out of the promise of God and in the working out of how this is going to happen in his family, he can rest in the fact that God has been faithful to him and he will provide uh, for his, uh, his offspring. It's also Good to note here that Jacob calls God his shepherd. You know, most of us think, you know, when we think of God as, as our shepherd, we think David came up with that. No, David's copying Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, recognized over his life, and he had been a wanderer, hadn't he? That God had shepherded him through all of that. Jacob himself was a shepherd, and so he knew what it was like uh, to shepherd flocks and to care for them, and he could settle his heart and encourage his sons and his grandsons with the reality that this God had shepherded him, and they could uh, trust him to shepherd uh, them and to be faithful to them as well. Next slide, Cody. So one of the things that's also so precious in this story is, you know, Jacob experienced a lot of loss in his life, didn't he? Uh, and one of the things, one of the most bitter losses that he ever experienced was the thought that he had lost his son, Joseph. And here at the end of his life, he's thanking God and marveling at the fact that not only has Joseph been restored to him, but these, he gets to lay eyes on these two grandsons and he gets to set them on his lap and he gets uh, to bless them, right? And so he, he sees not only that Joseph has been restored, but that Joseph has been fruitful uh, having these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, I just want to say something about this, just a little bit of a detour here to think about this because um, you, you need to know something about Manasseh and Ephraim that you may not know. You know, we tend to think of the Old Testament people of God as being monoracial. 
a single race. We tend to think about the Old Testament people of God being a single culture. We tend to think about them, you know, that they were the, 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 the Jewish people, the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel. But one of the things that you have to see about uh, Manasseh and Ephraim is that they kind of blows that wide open. Because what Jacob does here at the end of his life is he takes Joseph and, and rather than Joseph being a tribe, he splits them in two and begins to call them the, the, you know, the half-tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, Manasseh and Ephraim are not full-blooded Israelites. What we read in chapter 41 is that Joseph, that Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphnath paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Next slide, Cody. Um, and before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because uh, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So whatever else we may think about the, the, the Old Testament people of God, uh, here is the, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Ephraim, and through that tribe runs the blood of Egypt. Okay, so one of the things that, that we have to see about this, I don't know, you know, things morphed, I'm sure, over time, and I'm sure people began to think, you know, uh, wrongly about this. But the promise of God that he made to Adam uh, in the garden that through their seed all of the world would be blessed, we're beginning to see that, that the blessing of God wasn't just limited to this family, that through the providence of God, the fact that Joseph ends up in Egypt, he marries an Egyptian woman and he has sons who are half Egyptian. So engrafted now into the family of Jacob is two Egyptian, at least half Egyptian boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, and so one, one of the things that you have to see about that is that the tribes of Israel would forever contain, you know, Egyptian blood in it. And so the promise was not ethnically or racially limited. Now, it, and it's, it's fascinating to think about this because we, we tend to think of Egypt as being Middle Eastern, but Egypt's actually on the continent of Africa. And so the promise of God and the inclusion now in the covenant family of God is expanded both ethnically, racially, and uh, geographically beyond uh, the, the promised land. And so I think that's a great en encouragement for us and a great uh, a thing for us uh, to think about because we, we tend to think about, you know, that the, the Old Testament promise of God was very limited, but it wasn't. It has always been God's intention to have a covenant people that is varied and different and uh, um, uh, ethnically, culturally, racially, uh, uh, you know, diverse. And so it's a beautiful picture here, even through uh, Joseph's uh, time in Egypt, even through his, his difficulties there, God is using this, and he's actually expanding the reach of the covenant outside of just this one little ethnic group and this one little family to include uh, the Egyptians as well. Next slide. 
And what we see here is, is that Jacob actually adopts them. That's what he means when he says, they'll be mine. It doesn't mean that, you know, here on his deathbed, he's going to take over responsibility. No, they're his in the sense that now they will inherit uh, what was uh, Jacob's, that they'll get a share uh, in, uh, uh, in, in, in the promised land. So I think that's, a, a, that, that's a, a beautiful thing for us to see and to take heart in that God's heart has always been for, has, has always been big and much bigger probably than we think or we could ever dream. The second thing that I want you to note about these words that uh, uh, Jacob is saying, uh, and I, this jumped out at me when I was reading the text uh, this week and, and studying this is... Um, He's given this blessing to the boys there in chapter 48. And he says, And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So Jacob's at the end of his life. And as he's recounting the faithfulness and the goodness of God, he also remembers his sorrow. I mean, look what he says there. To my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. Listen, if you live long enough, you're going to lose. Long life means loss. It just does. Uh, and and that is, uh, uh, that's, 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 that's a challenging thing. In fact, one of the, uh, there's been a lot of studies that show that one of the predictors of longevity for people is their ability to be resilient after loss. Uh, when my mom died, uh, I would go down uh, a couple of times a month on Monday afternoons because Tuesday's my day off and I would spend Monday night with my dad and most of the day Tuesday and then come back on Wednesday morning. And so a lot of that first fall after my mom died, my dad and I would sit in uh, the den uh, in their two recliners and we'd watch Monday night football and talk about mom talk about how he was doing, that sort of thing. And he was just heartbroken. In fact, uh, he, I really think he died of a broken heart. Almost a year to the day after she died, he ended up in the hospital with heart failure. And so it was just so hard for him, you know, to live, to live without her. And he didn't want to live without her. And he knew where he was going. He knew he was bound for heaven. And so he was ready to die. And so we would sit there and we would watch... Monday night football, and he would, you know, get all discouraged because his teams never won, and he would think about mom, and he would think about he was ready to die, and he would look at me and, like, try to pull a Jacob here, and he would say, all right, I'm ready to die, and he'd close his eyes and lay his head back, like, <laughs> like okay, you know, it's going to happen, and I'm like, hey, hold your horses here, buddy, slow your roll, right, you know, you, you're not going to do this on me. You know, I don't think it works like this. I don't, I don't think you just decide, all right, I'm done. Come take me now, Lord. I'm out of here. I'm like, We're not, you're not going to do it that way, Dad. So uh, one, one of the things that was profound about that, though, was up, and, up until uh, a, a day or two before he died, we were still talking with him 
even though he had such joy in thinking about uh, his e- eternal destiny, he sorrowed till the day he died over, uh, over my mom, right? Um, and and just, uh, just a word about that uh, to us. Um, I don't know what you do with grieving people. I don't know what you do with your own grief, right? We tend, we tend to have this kind of understanding, right, in our culture where, all right, we know that somebody you love died, and we're going to give you a discreet period of time here to grieve that loss, but then it's time for you to get back to normal and quit your grieving and start behaving like you're supposed to behave. We just don't leave a lot of window for that, right? It's time to turn the page. And get on, get on with life. Well, here Jacob is at the end of his life, remembering Rachel, the love of his life, who died decades before. The Bible tells us to grieve. We don't do that very well. The Bible tells us to grieve, but to grieve with hope. And I think that's what Jacob is doing here as he recognizes and those words that he says that he'll be gathered to his people. But even in the midst of that and even in the midst of blessing and even recounting the overwhelming faithfulness and love of God to him over and over and over again, he can still say to my sorrow, that's where I buried Rachel when she died. That that stuck with him. Uh, even to uh, the day uh, of of his his own uh, his own death, and so I think it would it would be, it would be good for us uh, to be patient with one another in our grief, to help one another to grieve and hope, and to help us to rest in the goodness of God and and the knowledge that as human beings, grief is something that you will if you live long enough you're going to have for the rest of your life. So don't try to get over your grief. Grieve and hope. Now, a couple of conclusions. First of all, one of the things that we have to say about Jacob and one of the things that we've learned about him is that all of us are flawed. We're all flawed. We're all sinners. None of you is as good as you think you are. None of you is as good as you fake you are. None of us is as good as we'd like to be, right? We're all broken. You're broken as children, right? As sons and daughters. You're, you're broken as adults. You're broken as brothers and sisters. You're broken. All, so, so, so the fact of the matter is, as we live and work and, and, and do things with one another, uh, you know, as we have this kind of community together, if we live close enough with people, one of the things that we're going to learn about the people that we love and the people that we're in community with is they're sinners. And they're going to do things that we don't, that, that are sinful. You know, I talk about my dad a lot about what a, what a great example he was to me of faith. But the, the, uh, when he was dying, uh, my brother and I were with him one night and we were remembering things that we did together as we were growing up. And one of the things we remembered is we had this old Ford tractor that never started, seemed like. We could never get it going the way we wanted to. And 
my dad and my brother and I were trying to get it started one day, and we were trying to get jump a, a battery and get it going, and it wouldn't, um, and my dad was very stubborn about getting the tractor started, and we did it, we did it, we did it, and the jumper cables got so hot that the plastic on them started to melt. And so I pointed that out. I'm like, hey, Dad, this, this jumper cable's starting to smoke. And he was like, you're right. And he grabbed it and he threw it down in the floor of the barn and it fell on some hay. And dad stomped off and I'm looking there and the hay's catching on fire. And so I'm like, wait, 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 come back, come back. Like, you're going to burn the barn down. And then he said something inappropriate about how that would be fine with him. And so, um, and so we were laughing about that, you know, the, uh, just a few days uh, just a few days before uh, before he died, and because that made an impact on me, I was like, "Geez, and, you know, you're scaring me." So, um, so, so the, the 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 fact of the matter is, at the end of our lives, one of the things that we recognize is uh, our flaws, and that the people we loved are flawed too, and that our hope in this life and for the next is not in our record or not in our uh, living well or even dying well, but our hope in these times is in the God who has been faithful to us, in Jesus Christ who has atoned for our sins, who's done this work, who's made his promise and kept his promise to us through our whole lives. And so because all of us are flawed, uh, we have an opportunity to bear witness to one another, to the grace of God and the way in which we forbear with one another. Secondly, faith looks forward and also backwards, and in so doing, we can have confidence. Jacob's about to die, and he's about to leave his, his family in Egypt, far away from the, from the promised land. But Jacob has every confidence because God had been faithful to him, had cared for him, had provided for him, had challenged him, had knocked his hip out of socket, all of those things, that God would see to it that he would be faithful to the generations that came after. And though there would be uh, years of slavery, God would remember his promise and he would deliver his people. There's a lot of fear among you. A lot of anxiety about the future. And I'm telling you, there's, if, if you only look at the world and you only look at the headlines and you only look at the way things are going, you have every reason to be afraid. But Jacob's not afraid. He's trusting and entrusting himself to the God who's been faithful to him his whole life. Grandparents, parents who are freaking out over what kind of world your kids are going to be left with, they're going to be left with a world where the faithful God who was faithful to you all your life is still alive and well and still at work and still maintaining his promise and still uh, his gospel and his grace is still true. The cross still atones for sins and Jesus is still Lord. We can rest in that. Uh, uh, so we should have 
every reason to have confidence. If Jacob had confidence based on the promise of God to him, we can have confidence because we have seen God bear fruit and his promise come to fruition in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, death. You know, we, um, we're a death-denying culture. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't like to think about that very much, but Jacob sees um, his death as going home which is such a poignant thing for him because Jacob really never had a home. You know, he had to run from his, his family when he was a young man. He spends tw- uh, all those years uh, with his father-in-law and his uncle, and then he wanders back into Canaan, and now he's going to die in Egypt. And, but he recognizes uh, that his death will be the ultimate in going home. Uh, last week, I met with a man who's dying, and uh, I, wanted, I don't know him very well, and I wanted to make sure that uh, he um, uh, knew the gospel. And one of the things that we talked about is uh, what, uh, what his hope was. And he looked at me, and he says, well, because of Jesus, God has a room for me. Uh, that's our hope and our trust. Uh, as we faith, face our death, is that God has a room for us, that he has a home for us, that he makes a place for us, and the place that he makes for us is a place with him forever and ever. Hear these words of institution of the Lord's Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess our sins. Almighty and merciful Father, you live in your people by your Spirit and have sealed us for the day of redemption. Yet we have not lived like we are one with you and your people. Bitterness, deceit, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice have gripped us. We have not loved one another as you have loved us. We have been slow to forgive as you have forgiven us. We have not honored one another as those in whom Christ dwells. Forgive us for our offenses against you and go on to subdue everything in us that is contrary to your purposes. Teach us to number our days in the hope of Christ. By the power of your spirit, make us a tender-hearted church, joyfully repenting, longing to be transformed into your likeness, trusting in your promise, eager to live for your glory. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 